All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. If you're looking for just a general guide to help you with some principles and practices of reading the Bible well, I've got a free ebook on my website at listenerscommentary.com. Totally free. Put your name in, email address, you'll get instant access to that. It's about a 35-page ebook that gives you five practices for studying the Bible and understanding it well, five practices for reading it and applying it, meditating on it, and putting it into practice in your life well. So totally free at listenerscommentary.com. All right, in this recording, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. And this is the second major chunk of the second major teaching block in the book of Matthew. So we talked about in the introduction to the book that Matthew has these five large teaching blocks that are one of the key parts of how Matthew has organized the material of his gospel. Well, the first one is Matthew 5 through 7, the well-known Sermon on the Mount. The second one is here in Matthew chapter 10, and a lot of scholars refer to it as a teaching block on mission. And it initially focuses on the mission of the 12 apostles. So the section we're going to look at in this recording is chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. And this section really prepares the 12 for wider ministry, even among the Gentiles in the future. So recall the original setting. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus is sending out the 12. He commissions them. They are listed for us in Matthew's gospel there at the end of chapter 9. And then he sends them out to the villages of Israel, specifically the villages of Galilee, expanding the reach of his ministry and his mission. And he commissions them to really preach the same message he's been preaching and do some of the same works of power that he himself has been doing. Now, in this section here and following, Jesus' instructions continue, but in doing so, he warns them of the challenges ahead and does so in a way that indicates a future wider ministry beyond the immediate one that he's sending them out on here. He says in his instructions that they will experience opposition and persecution and in some cases even death for their ministry on behalf of Jesus. So Jesus' words here prepare them for that. So we pick up in verse 16 and in the verses immediately before that, Jesus told them that some people will welcome them and their ministry and some people won't. And now at that point, Jesus says in verse 16, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wary as serpents and as innocent as doves. A couple things to note just from that verse, the verb sending. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That verb sending is actually the verb form of the noun apostle. So at the end of chapter 9, Jesus names them as apostles. And then Matthew lists off their names for them. And so they are commissioned to be apostles. And here specifically in verse 16, he is sending them out as apostles. That is being commissioned as his official representatives. They're being sent on mission on his behalf. And he's doing so as sheep among wolves, which really pictures both vulnerability and danger. You're going out, you're like sheep, which means you're vulnerable. And you're going out among wolves, and that's dangerous because wolves uh, attack sheep, right? And so vulnerability and danger. And so he tells them they need to be wary as serpents, and innocent as doves. And that word wary in Greek is the basic idea of smart 
or thinking or prudent. It's a word that simply means that kind of idea. But in this context, where it's connected with serpents, it probably has the connotation of crafty or clever. In fact, in the Greek translation of Genesis chapter 3, it's the word that describes the serpent in the garden there, that he was clever or crafty. And so that's the idea here is that you want to be clever, you want to be wary or crafty. The idea in this context with regard to mission is uh, that it's, we might say, that you, you have some street smarts, right? You're, you're thoughtful, you're careful, you kind of understand the situation and you got a little bit of street smarts. That's the idea. But you're also innocent as doves. And that word means pure or unmixed, innocent. Put those two together and you get the proper approach. Uh, as one commentator points out, uh, being wary without innocence, well, that's craftiness, like the serpent in the garden. But innocence without wariness or keenness, well, that's being naive and gullible. So because of the danger and the vulnerability of their broadening mission, beginning now during this time period of Jesus' actual earthly life, but in the future going beyond all of that, because of that danger and vulnerability, they've got to have some street smarts, but at the same time, they also need to be pure and true to Jesus and his ways. That's the commission here. That's the call. So he's sending them out. Now, part of that, being crafty and innocent at the same time, part of that is being aware of what people are capable of and what they will do. And so Jesus says in verse 17, but be on guard against people. Uh, that is pay attention, right, right? Turn your mind towards, be aware of. It speaks to what they can expect from people because of their mission. And what Jesus first speaks of is Jewish opposition. And so he says, be on guard against people, for they will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. When it says synagogues, that's a distinctly Jewish sort of experience. That's how we know this line is about opposition from Jewish people. They'll flog you in their synagogues. And the word flog refers to the infamous Jewish whipping that was 40 lashes minus one, the Old Testament law prescribed no more than 40 lashes, and so they would they would count for 40, but they would actually stop at 39 just in case they miscounted because they didn't want to violate the law. So that's where you get 40 lashes minus one, but it was a whipping, and so they'll flog you in their synagogues. Then he speaks of Gentile opposition in verse 18. So he says, and you will be brought before governors and kings on my account as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Since Jesus was very clear up above in verses 1 through 15 that the initial mission he's sending them out on was to be to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right, to the towns around Galilee where Jesus has been ministering, these words here in verse 18 then indicate that he's also beginning to hint at and prepare them for future mission that will come later after Jesus' resurrection, when they actually leave Israel and they begin to go into Gentile lands. And what Jesus says is they're going to be brought before governors and kings on my account. And those two words, governors and kings, were various titles of the way the Romans ruled their territory. Sometimes they would appoint a governor in a territory. Sometimes they would appoint a client king who ruled on their behalf. And so you're going to be brought before them and you're going to do so as a testimony, a testimony of Jesus and his power and his kingship to them and to the Gentiles. 
But, verse 19, when they hand you over, Jesus says, don't worry about how or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who are speaking, but it's the spirit of your father who is speaking in you. So Jesus says to them in that moment, when you are brought before these kings and these governors, as well as brought before uh, maybe Jewish leaders and Jewish rulers, when you're brought before them, you're going to be brought before them specifically to be a testimony to Jesus uh, to them. Don't fret, he says, about what you're going to say. God's spirit will actually enable you with the words that you are to say. Then Jesus highlights another place where they can experience opposition, their own families. So you've got in the uh, synagogues and with the Jews, you have uh, among kings and governors and Gentile rulers. And now even in your own family, you can experience opposition and sometimes it'll be severe. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, now brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And so even in the family, your loyalty to Jesus, he's saying, and your, your ongoing commitment to ministry and mission on his behalf as the 12 apostles isn't necessarily a glamorous or easy or glorious affair. There's going to be opposition and your family will even turn against you. Some of them themselves will be the informant who turns you over to the, the rulers and therefore leads you to be condemned to death. So here's the conclusion of the matter in verse 22. Uh, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it's the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And so as he's sending them out early on, it's like this is their first little mission on behalf of Jesus, but he's preparing them for what's going to come later when he actually sends them beyond Israel to the Gentile world. So part of that means you're going to be hated by everybody because of my name. People are just going to dislike you. They're going to hate you. They're not going to trust you. They're going to think your beliefs are weird or odd. They're going to turn against you because they are opposed ultimately to Jesus. And so your association with Jesus and his name is going to lead to opposition from those who actually despise him. But it's the one who endures to the end who will be saved. And the idea of enduring to the end is remaining faithful, clear to the finish line. Regardless of opposition, regardless of rejection, or even being put to death, that may be the finish line, and being faithful all the way up to that point, that's the one who ultimately is going to be saved. So, part of being crafty as a serpent, but innocent as a dove, is recognizing the danger and recognizing what people can do, recognizing what people really will do. Another part of being crafty like that shows up in verse 23, recognizing when it's time to move on. Look what he says in verse 23. He says, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And so part of uh, their ongoing mission and part of having some street smarts and yet being innocent is to recognize, okay, it's time for me to leave. It's time for me to move on. It's getting, the, the temperature's getting too hot and I don't think there's any use in me staying around. Gotta run, right? So it's, it's, there's a time to move on to the next city. And we see all of this happening in the book of Acts. We see the very things Jesus is 
uh, warning them of, the various things Jesus is encouraging them in. We see it all playing out. They're being brought before kings and governors, and they're testifying to them about Jesus, and the Spirit is giving them the words to say. Uh, we see them at times staying in cities, even though there's persecution, and we see them in times, okay, now it's time to leave. And so recognizing that is really important. You recognize when it's time to flee to the next city. And then he says, for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through, which that phrase going through is actually supplied. It literally is, you will not complete or finish the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And the question is, well, what does that mean? And there are a variety of views among scholars as to what Jesus is actually getting at by that. Let me just give you what I think are the three best views of what that phrase means. First, here's one idea. He's referring to his reunion with the 12 after the initial mission he's sending them out on. And so remember the overarching context is he's sending them out. They're going to travel through some of the towns and villages around Galilee, and then they're going to reconnect afterwards. And Jesus is actually going to give them some debrief and some feedback on how the mission went. So maybe he's just, even though in one bit he broadens things out, maybe here when he says that, he's just focusing on, you're not going to finish hitting all the towns of Israel before uh, in the next like two months or three weeks or however long it's going to be that they're going to be out. Maybe that's simply what it's talking about. Second idea is uh, that this refers actually to Jesus' ascension and vindication, his exaltation. It's an allusion to Daniel chapter 7 and the Son of Man coming to God's throne, as you see in Daniel 7, and being given the universal kingdom, which is tied to Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and uh, ultimately his exaltation that leads to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. That's one idea that some scholars have posed. Or a third idea is that Jesus is saying that, that the mission to Israel will be ongoing right up until the second coming. <clears throat> Which one is it? All of them have relative strengths. And certainly number three uh, is going to be true. There is going to be an ongoing mission to uh, Jewish people and to the nation of Israel all the way up until the second coming. We see that in our own day. There's a number of ministries that are working within Israel and among Jewish people clear to this day. That could be, it could be as simple as that. I tend to think that's probably not the primary focus of what Jesus is saying here, even though that's true. I don't know that that's what Jesus was getting at by this phrase. And the reason I think that is because the word for coming, when it says uh, that you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes, that word comes there is just the general word for going or coming in Greek. It's not the uh, the specific word for Jesus' second coming, the word parousia, which is sort of almost like a technical term for the second coming of Jesus. So it's just a general word for coming. Now, it could refer to a second coming, but it's not the specific word that uh, makes it really clear that's what he's talking about. So I tend to think uh, that's probably not the focus of what Jesus is getting at. And it reminds us that we need to make sure Every time Jesus says something about his going or his coming, we don't automatically jump to the second coming. It, it, there's other kinds of comings in a person's life besides just the second coming of Jesus, right? And so maybe that, but I tend to think it's probably not number three. Uh, so that leaves number one and number two in what I think are the three best views. And I think either of them would work contextually. I, I kind of think maybe number two is our best idea. Um, 
I really like what the scholar R.T. France in his commentary on Matthew says about this. Um, and what he gets at is how much of the coming of the Son of Man language is actually shaped by the vision in Daniel chapter 7. And that should help us maybe understand what Jesus is thinking, since the whole phrase Son of Man seems to come from Daniel 7. Um, and uh, the coming language actually shows up there, not with the Son of Man coming to earth, but with the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days and to his throne and being entrusted with the universal kingdom. And so in Daniel chapter 7, that's where the Son of Man comes to, is to the very throne of God and receives his universal kingdom. And in view of that and how informative that was for how Jesus uses this phrase, Son of Man, and thought about his ministry, what R.T. France says is this. He says that the coming of the Son of Man is thus used not as a description of a particular historical event or a particular historical moment, but it's evocative language to depict Jesus's eventual vindication and sovereign authority. In other words, it's language that was intended to communicate how Jesus is going to be vindicated by virtue of his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and how he therefore is going to assume the universal throne and kingship as the Son of Man. And maybe then that's what is being gotten at when he talks about uh, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until it's going to become obvious that I am the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and I am the one who is uh, ruling over all things. I tend to think that's probably what he's getting at, um, but it's not 100% clear. All right, the main message in 16 through 23 to the apostles and then beyond them to people who are continuing to carry out Jesus' mission throughout church history all the way up until today, the main message really is this. Expect hardships. Expect hardships in your service to Jesus, in your mission on behalf of Jesus, in your ministry for Jesus, in your attempts to be faithful to Jesus. Expect hardships. This was actually the Apostle Paul's message to the churches he planted on his first missionary journey. At the end of the first missionary journey, it says that the Apostle Paul traveled back to the churches, encouraging them, appointing elders in those churches, and telling them through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. That's Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Through many tribulations, many hardships, many difficulties, we must enter the kingdom of God. This was Peter's words to the Christians all throughout modern-day Turkey in his first letter to them where he said, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. We, who are attempting to live faithfully uh, and on mission for Jesus, just need to learn to expect hardships. And Jesus is warning the 12 here that as he sends them out, it's going to be a little bit difficult now. Down the road, it's going to actually be a whole lot harder. Their family won't always see eye to eye with them. Um, their, the leaders in their communities won't see eye to eye with them. It's going to be difficult. Expect hardship. And the second part of that that we see here is, therefore, resolve to endure. That persecution requires endurance. Hardship requires a long-term faithfulness. So resolve now that since you know hardships are part of the game, resolve now to endure when opposition comes. 
Resolve now to stay faithful when you're misunderstood, mistreated, uh, maligned, and rejected by the culture around you. Don't be caught off guard by it. Prepare for it and resolve to endure. All right, thanks for tuning in to this session on the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. The listener's commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's only made possible because of dozens of people just like you support this ministry generously and financially. So if you're one of the supporters of this ministry, thanks a ton. The Lord is bearing good fruit through your generosity all around the world. And if you have been blessed or impacted by the listener's commentary in some way, would you prayerfully just consider, uh, could you join the team of supporters? And if so, you can swing over to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the Give button. It'll redirect you to a page through World Family Mission, sort of an umbrella organization where you can put in a dollar amount, click a little box that says Make This Monthly, and you can set up a monthly donation. You can also give a one-time donation right there. Or another way you could support the ministry is through signing up for the study hub there at listenerscommentary.com. Just click the little phrase that says sign up in the blue box at the top and click that and it'll take you to a page where you can sign up for the study hub. Inside the study hub are some online courses, uh, some maps, some charts, and other resources that I add as I get opportunity. So in advance, let me say thanks a ton for your support.